Hello and welcome to another episode of Let's Get Fizzy Pole. Today we have a very, very, very special guest, Miss Lisa D. Hello, hello. Happy to be here. Lisa is a huge pole celebrity worldwide. And if you have not heard of her already, you need to get on YouTube and have a look at some of these amazing performances. Lisa was the comedy champion for Pole Theatre Sydney in 2017. She has, of course, the list here is massive. She was the first place in Australian Pole Championships in 2015. She's won um, the Art Division of Pole Theatre Australia. She second place in Paragon International, um, second place in Victorian Pole Championships. She's won the Victorian Pole Championships. She's Global Pole Performer of the Year, the IPDFA title there, and the list goes on and on and on and on. So we are in very, very good company today and very lucky that Lisa has volunteered her time to come and chat to all of our fizzy fam. Uh, thanks, man. Please go on. No. Yeah. <laughs> I will just follow you around and be your introduction person. And then say, oh my god, yeah, you'd be you'd be the bet you'd be like the fucking oops you'd be you. <laughs> I'll bleep it you'd out. Be the most, yeah, bleep it out. You'd be the most amazing hype man in the world because you're a really good speaker. So that would be actually amazing. <laughs> I'd have like the most the most articulate hype man ever known. <laughs> Can you imagine? It'd be great, wouldn't yeah. it? I've had that yeah, before as well. Someone's introduced me and I'm like, gosh, that just, my head just exploded. But yes, that's great. I know. <laughs> it makes you feel like you've done something with your life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you certainly have. In addition to all of those titles, Lisa has done countless tours worldwide. And um, she's very, very known for her unique artistry and transitions. And I would say as well, this is something I don't think people maybe know you for as much, but I think your thought process within the tricks on the pole, like the the physiology, like actually thinking, okay, this is next and this is next, this is how this works and this is why this works, I think... Yeah, I think that that's um, something that's you're very, very, very good at. And if people have had a chance to take a workshop with you, they probably agree as well. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I think maybe my private clients might be a tiny bit more aware of that because um, they hate me for it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think maybe yeah, maybe that is something that I like that I like to do quite a lot. Like I am, um, I do put a hell of a lot of thought into the physiology and biomechanics of moves. Um, And for me, it all comes down to how I can bend things into something maybe a little bit different or how I can create transitions or connections that aren't commonly seen. And yeah, I put a lot, a lot of thought into that stuff. So Mm. thank you for noticing. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Well, Lisa and I go way back, actually. We met, um, it would have been at one of the first ever Miss Pole Dance Victoria um, competitions and we were both competing and uh, another friend of ours, Tristan, who doesn't really do pole anymore, but she was there as well and the three of us kind of just bonded and like we live a bit of a distance away but did try to sort of catch up and then, of course, over the years, you know, always seeing each other at events and things. It's just been 
great, I think, to watch each other's careers like evolve and, and the performances as well that we've both put on stage. Yeah, industry veterans. I feel like it was, was it 2009 or was it more like 10 or 11? It was way back. It was one of the early, the early Miss Polvics. Yeah, I think it was 2009. Oh, yeah, mm. yeah, that's what I, that's what I think as well. The, the early ones get mixed up in my mind. I'm like, was it this one? Was it that one? Yeah. I remember the old venues, like basically the pub and nightclub venues that they were held at. Yeah, and they all blur. And I remember the cast of characters who were around at that time, like there was you and me and Tristan and really slamming it at that point. She was, you know, winning titles and she was all over the place. And there yeah. was a few other prominent Victorians who were floating around during that time who have either kind of risen up to stunning fame or left the industry completely now. Like it was a it was a whole other time. It was a very enjoyable time. It was. And actually I had a conversation. It was only yesterday with, with um, we had the Fizzypolar's like staff training day and I was telling them how the Miss Polar routines used to be seven minutes and oh they, their minds <laughs> were blown. Like they could yeah. not believe that. They're oh like, God. what do you mean? How do you last seven minutes? <laughs> yeah. With great difficulty, I um I remember when I realised in 2008 I did my first Miss Pole routine. Um, sorry, that was Miss Pole Queensland because I come from Queensland, but I moved to Melbourne a long time ago, a decade ago actually, um, and it was a seven-minute time limit and I thought to myself, no way. So <laughs> I, I cut my music to six minutes 20 and the last 10 seconds of my show was just a slow fade out in a pose. So I did a six minute 10 routine because I could, could not keep going for that extra, like could not keep frenetically active for that extra 50 seconds, but it worked because I won. Yeah. I think you had red hair back then. No, I, I, um, I had a black bob and then I went red in 2011, late 2011. I went red. Okay. Mm. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, the seven you. minute. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> the seven minute time limit was no joke. Like that's uh, unless you're a master showgirl and yeah. you really know your pacing and you really know your timing, it's too much for most for most people. It is now, but like you say, it was a different time. And I think where it originated was obviously in strip clubs, typically it's like a two song set. So the performer will come out. The first song is kind of strutting around and they're usually wearing like a full dress or something. And then as you sort of move into that second song, um, there's the element of strip and then it's usually a more pumped up song. So I think, and because the first Miss Pole events were run, in the nightclub sort of scene, I think that's where that came from. And that was definitely the feel of it back then as opposed to now. You go and it's still got the showgirl element, but it's so much more focused on just tricks and, like, get it done, get it done in the space of three minutes. Yep. Yeah, you're 100% right. And in those older routines too, the costumes would tend to be, for the serious showgirls, the costumes were elaborate and expensive and the the reveal of different costume elements was a huge focus. The removal of different costume elements was a huge focus. You know, people are up the pole upside down, removing one bit, removing another bit. There was actually a lot of choreography surrounding costume choreography. 
for minutes and minutes on end. And yeah, I think actually on the strip circuit, that is still a major focus of, of competition pieces. But, in, but on the pole circuit, that's no longer such a focus. It's, it's shifted into its own kind of direction, which, you know, it's a, whole, it's a whole other thing, a whole new thing. It's great. I've loved being a part of it. Yeah, isn't it funny how the two are quite separated and mm. people, especially now getting into pole comps, wouldn't really understand the history and what was going on back then and why things like, like when I told the instructors yesterday, they're like, oh my God, seven minutes. Like they just had no idea. And in my <laughs> mind, I was like, that's what normal. That was what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. It's, and it's funny, like that's our pole history now, as in the origins of pole and how, and how and why competitions were and are the way they are. Like to us who've been in the industry for a long time, like that's our history, but really it's such a short history. Like pole mm. exploded onto the mainstream, um, you know, only, well, in Vegas it was in the late 90s, but in Australia it was in the, you know, 2003, 2004, it kind of began to explode into the mainstream. And that's not that long ago. Like our history is so, it's so kind of rich and things have changed so much for such a short span of time. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. It has. And it's, um, it's, where do you think, like, do you have any predictions about where that's all headed? Yeah, I think we're going to keep um, moving out into branches the way we are, or the way I perceive that we move out in branches. So we've got um, an artistic kind of branch, and it's populated by people like Yvonne Smink. Um, mm-hmm. And those people can have a skill set that in my opinion is is at olympic level for example but that branch probably won't go olympic because it doesn't have the that kind of trademark style of olympic movement yes. so i think there's there's more like this art branch that the capabilities of the people in that branch can be superhuman astronomically high but that one won't go olympic then there's more the sport branch which has that the stricter rules, the very strict rules surrounding um, prerequisite moves and all of that kind of stuff. And the people in that branch tend to move a little bit more like rhythmic gymnasts, for example. So that, that branch, I think, is the one that's making the really heavy Olympic push and they'll probably get in. You know, they'll, they'll get into the Olympics at some point. We'll see it. And then there's the other huge section that's um, dance and exotic and dance of all sorts, lyrical, contemporary, hip-hop. Um, all all styles of dance and the exotic branch as well, both the Aussie style or the Aussie style, the American style, the Russian style, all of those exotics, it's all getting a bit blended now, like which exotic is what. Mm. Um, that's a, another, another branch. And I think we'll keep on seeing the kind of moving forward, the separation and sometimes blending and separation, sometimes blending of those branches. So I see, I see branches but that doesn't mean a person has to inhabit only one of them. Like this is art, you know, it's your, it's your world to play in. You can inhabit more than one of those branches or you can blend them up. Mm. It doesn't, it doesn't, there are no rules saying that there's any kind of separation. It's um, yeah. So you're basically free to play in any stream of pole dancing or create your own stream. But just in general terms, I see those kind of, those kind of divisions growing a little bit broader especially as pole heads into the Olympics and that style of Olympic movement becomes more codified and more stable. But that's only my opinion. Like 
it's only my opinion and I'm not invested in that scenario being the case like you know I don't I don't care what happens as long as everyone's happy and has a good time that makes sense (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know what I mean I agree and I actually I do agree with you I think it's going to keep trending um out those branches I think there's definitely a community that's focused on the trick side of things and the sports side of things but then you've definitely got an audience and pollers who are that not really interested in sitting through a full day of tricks 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 they want to be entertained and they want the show element back and I think for a period there, maybe the last two or three years, it's been very trick focused. And now it seems that people are really looking for not as much about the tricks and want to be, like I say, entertained, I think. Yeah, I can agree with that. And whenever you go to any kind of, um, it's usually a showcase where you get more entertainment than a comp. Whenever you go to a showcase that contains a lot of entertaining shows, the audience is wrapped. Like people are screaming and yelling, you know, they, <laughs> they absolutely love it. So I think people are hungry for shows. And whenever you see a routine, um, oh, I was in LA a couple of years ago watching um, one of the pole con competitions and some of the show pieces that were put on stage like such contained stories like they really built worlds on stage like I was on the the whole audience not just me we were on the edge of our seats like people were crying after some of these shows people were yelling and standing up like it was oh I was enraptured people are hungry for shows that is for sure so yeah what do you have a favorite show of your own that you've performed uh, uh I have a couple I did a an autumn piece in 2012 at the Victorian Pole Championships that you ran I think that one was yeah um do you remember that that was was that 2012 uh, uh I ran the 2013 one I think it was okay might have been that one then it was I'm pretty sure it was at the event you ran so whichever year that was I'm pretty sure that was it but the piece I did um, at that venue were autumn pieces one of my favorites Um, so I had a costume with um, autumn leaves on it and I had a song that was very much about transition and change and I was so there wasn't a distinct story as in it wasn't you know a woman walks into a bar and has a drink and yeah. um, but it was more an adherence to theme so you know the theme about transition and change and I'd really thought about all of the transitions in my moves so that things would go from high to low or from low to high so that I would be changing states on the pole just trying to give that impression of change things changing as in with autumn and the song was melancholy and all about that uh, sadness of transition. And I, lo- I loved that show. Mm. Um, and I also loved my Freddie show from 2017. Yes, <laughs> I love this one. <laughs> <laughs> because it was ridiculous and because every idea I had, I indulged. I was like, what if I could slash someone open and their gut would fall out? <laughs> and I was like, I'll do it. It's like, what if I could rip off someone's arm and beat them to death with it? I'll do it. So I, so I just, I love that show because I just had ideas and I said to myself, okay, I'm just going to indulge whatever ideas I want. And then I had to build these damn props and like, I'm with a, I had a, I bought all these pajamas from Kmart and I was dressing up pool noodles in pajamas and painting them with fake blood and 
there were levers and glue and and wires going through things and like yeah uh, once I actually started to build the props I regretted my decision (laughs) (laughs) my living room just turned into this absolute mess of hot glue guns leaking and sticking to everything styrofoam and fabric and paint all over everything like my boyfriend like how how long is this gonna take (laughs) a long time so (laughs) but it it was worth it because it came out great on stage there were a few little oops stuff ups as there always are but I don't care because um the show came across like people were into it I could feel the audience with me. I could hear them laughing from on stage. I, a couple of times they screamed during the reveals, like when, when Amanda's guts fell out and when I tore Justine's arm off, I could hear people screaming in the crowd. So I was like, okay, it's working. Yeah. <laughs> and I think from the audience perspective, I wasn't actually there that, that night, but I think mm. from the audience perspective, even from the very beginning, it was just funny. Like you turn around and you're like, no, like yeah. <laughs> it's really high. <laughs> Good nice. <laughs> it was great. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I really um, I have a lot to say about comedy routines because I love I love comedy and I've done a lot of judging on comedy routines and I see what goes wrong fairly easily and I really focused on um, embedding jokes into every phase of the routine and that sounds silly you're like well of course you would but I mean no no seriously at every moment in the routine you have to ask yourself can I insert a joke here what's a joke going to look like it's you're on stage so it's probably going to be physical humor because you're on stage Mm. and when you actually get right down to it it's hard to create physical humor over and over and over again with with just your body and a couple of props so it takes it took a lot of thought to try and squeeze comedy into as many parts of the routine as I could while still trying to build dramatic tension because there's a reveal there the reveal being I am Freddy Krueger but yeah it's a it was a it was a challenge and I'm glad it came off well because I was really nervous when I got on stage that it was not going to be funny and that people would just be like well that was shit (laughs) and (laughs) I would have gone to all that trouble and all that training and all that prop building for people to just um, feel underwhelmed. (laughs) But that's the risk, isn't it? Oh, it is the risk. And absolutely, that's when you take those risks. I know myself, like you take those risks, there's so much work goes into it and it can just pay off. But it's the ones who don't take the risks, that's where they end up sort of perhaps coming out with a mediocre performance, whereas if you took the risk, you'd put yourself out there, but you can also get the the, um, the reward, I suppose, of putting something fresh out there. So maybe give me two mistakes that you think that performers make when trying to perform a comedy routine. And I would also like to know your top two mistakes that you think people make when trying to incorporate props into their oh, routine. God. Oh my God. Um, Top two mistakes people make when trying to incorporate props. I'll do that one first is Mm -hmm. having a prop that, that doesn't live in the show at all. It's like, you know, we all, it's, it's the big old one that everyone jokes about. It's like, here I am. I'll put that sword on the ground right now. Okay. That's all. That's all of the sword. Goodbye. Like, you know, if you, if you're going to unveil some kind of prop, it needs to be used in the show in some fashion. My second pet peeve with props is, so 
a lot of people, they actually know that. They know they can't just reveal a prop and then throw it away. So what they do is they go at the start of the show, they go, here's my sword, and they wave it for a second and they put it down on the ground. Then they do their entire routine. Yes. And at the end, they come back and they pick up the sword and they go, ah, and my sword. So you see, <laughs> I did use it more than once. And you're like, no. <laughs> like, doesn't count. No, it doesn't count. You know, if you're going to do that, you have to, I don't know, take the sword up the pole, make the sword interact with the pole, have some kind of fake, have some kind of battle of some sort, have a way of insert, tucking or inserting it into your costume and wearing it as a part of a trick. Like, yeah, you have to, it has to be present, be up the pole, utilizing the sword. Like, oh no, the threat is here and you're hanging out in a knee hold or something and you're like battling the threat. Like the sword is, it's going to be a part of your piece or it shouldn't really be there. I mean, I've been guilty of that myself. I've been guilty of prop abuse myself. <laughs> prop um, abuse. I love that. Prop abuse. Um, but, but, you know, we got to try. Um, and the second thing people do with props that I would say is a do not do. Do not do with props. Oh, my God. I, I get, uh, I'm sympathetic, but I get angry or annoyed whenever someone has an awkward prop problem on stage like they've tied up their costume with a kind of bow that's hard to hard to undo so it's time to remove the costume and they're like fidget fiddle 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 and I'm in the audience like just use velcro (laughs) (laughs) seriously or I'm thinking how many times did you actually practice with that like I know I know but but there's this thing that like anything when you're nervous anything that can go wrong will go wrong so in the training room, maybe they pull that string on the bow and the bow falls open a hundred times. But as performers, we know that it's not going to do that on stage. <laughs> yeah. when, you, when it'll come open a hundred times in the training room and as soon as you get on stage and pull the bow, it will go, not today. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's the same with props as well. You can replace the word prop or costume. Like if you have a prop and you have to pull one thing out of another thing or put one thing into something else or you know, utilize a prop in a fiddly way, you need to make sure it's foolproof. And seriously, for all costume stuff, never untie a bow or a string of any sort. Glue or, or stitch, the, stitch the bow onto the front and underneath it, just use Velcro, just use Velcro. <laughs> <laughs> to the audience, it will look like your costume is closed. For you, it's damn Velcro. So that's, that's the other one. Don't ever use a prop or a large piece of costumery that's difficult to remove or handle on stage because it will stuff up when you get on stage (laughs) it absolutely will and you see it like you and I've judged so many comps together and you just I mean yes you feel for the performer but at the same time I'm just thinking come on like you need to do a costume run and I mean not even doing the tricks or the dance or anything but just running your costume with the music at the right times in the music. That needs to be practised just as much as everything else. 100%, absolutely. Otherwise you look awkward giraffe on stage. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yep. So, so those are the costume and prop ones. The comedy ones, the common problems I see are um, people who, so... People who are newcomers to performing comedy and have never tested whether they can be funny in performance before. But this is a tricky one. Like, how do you practice being funny in front of an audience? Like, what, are we all going to go and try and do open mic nights and stand-up comedy? Are we all part of improv theatre troops? Like, where do you practice <laughs> that stuff? 
all you really have is your friends and family. And when you show them your funny idea, they go, ha ha, it's hilarious. I love it. But <laughs> you, you can't listen to them. <laughs> they lie. <laughs> I, was, I was showing my Freddie routine to people in the studio before I went up, up to Sydney and they were all going, oh, yeah, it's all right. So I was extra worried because no one at my home studio found it particularly funny. <laughs> this, there's no, I know. There's no moral in this story. My own friends were like, yeah, look, I, it's okay. And I was absolutely crapping myself. There's no moral in that story. Yeah, so, no, I yeah. agree. My friends told me that Toxic would probably be a bad idea because the song was outdated. Oh, really? Well, shows what they know. <laughs> well, it's funny, isn't it? I think, I think when you get on stage, you just really sell it to the point where you know what I mean? You really sell it. And then I think people get it. But yeah, if you want to do comedy on stage, you need to know if you're funny to a, a wider audience. But how do you know that? I guess you have to put something on stage. But my biggest, um, my biggest mistake for comedy routines, and I said this in a little video for, for you the other day, um, my biggest mistake in comedy routines is just using the same one single joke over and over again. But it's the big one. It's what everyone does. They create a premise that's actually uh, simple and that's okay. But if you have a very simple premise, you need to expand on it like brainstorming style. So you have your simple premise in a little circle and then coming out from that, you have little shoots, you know, one arrow points to this kind of joke and another arrow points to that kind of joke and another arrow points to this kind of joke. So you need to start with your premise, even if it's simple, and then do a brainstorm of how many kinds of jokes you can take out of that premise and expand upon to give your routine um, a journey and variety. Because without a journey of any description and without variety in humour, people will be bored by about the one and a half minute mark. And then there's still another couple of minutes of your routine to go on where the audience is no longer engaged. So Basically, that's a don't do a single kind of joke the whole time. Find your premise and then brainstorm for how many varieties of joke. So that's physical, that's incorporating props. So physical comedy, just your body and your facial expression. Incorporating props, how can you make props work for you in a way that's funny? On the poll, how can you incorporate a joke or humor onto the poll? Interaction with human props if you have them is there an entertaining interaction to be had there audience involvement jokes is there any way you can you know break the fourth wall and be like wink wink at the audience that will kind of draw them in like there's there's a, a number of ways you can pull humor pull a variety of humor out of any premise okay that's i think that's it <laughs> yeah that's really really good and i think i think comedy is probably the hardest style to do oh, it's awful it's awful i mean i love it but I agree. It's <laughs> awful. <laughs> but I do think more and more people are trying it. Um, we definitely had a few at Ignite finals last year that did some comedy routines and you're actually our MC and yeah. you're going to be our MC again this year. So I am. Woo. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah, how did wait. you how did you find the performances? Because you obviously sit side stage and you're able to watch them, and you make some really great comments. Actually, afterwards, you don't just come back on and say, "Yeah, good job." 
you know, something really frustrating with sitting side stage is there are a few performances where I was watching from side stage and I was like, oh my God, this is, this is quite a good show. And I was actually dying to get up out of my chair and just take a little trot around to the front so I could see everything presented to the audience as the performer intended, because I could even from my, because, you know, you see things from side on, people are presenting to the front. Even from side on, I was like, God damn, this is it. This is quite a good piece. I had to fight the urge to get up and run around the front and have a look from the front, which is not, not what you're supposed to do as an MC. So I just stayed there glued to my chair watching from the side. I've actually forgotten the question. Uh, <laughs> no, that's all right. I, I understand that urge. Um, yeah, the question just was about the routines that you saw last year. Do you, are you looking forward to MCing again this year? Yeah, I am. I like, I really like fizzy pole performances because you guys are a school, well, you know, I don't know if this is in your mission statement or that kind of thing, but from an external observer, you guys are very much a school of theatrical pole. So when you go to a fizzy pole show, each, there are so many little pieces where people are trying to create these contained little worlds, worlds of story or worlds of theater pieces. So you do not know, oh, I mean, I knew because I talked to the performers about their shows beforehand, (laughs) but if you're just an audience member, you never know what you're going to see on stage because almost every performer is attempting to bring you a show, which is something that I personally appreciate very, very much. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what kind of worlds and shows and stories and journeys you've got all of your students creating this year, because literally you you never know with the fizzy polars. They come up with <laughs> all sorts of things. <laughs> Last year I was talking to a girl side stage and she's like, I'm a troll. And I was like, awesome. <laughs> get, out, get out there and do you, you troll. It was just brilliant. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I actually know who you were talking to. That's really funny. Still <laughs> yeah, so you that. Um, yeah, they do. They, they, have so much variety in the shows and, you know, Fizzy Polars, if you're listening and you're thinking about entering Ignite, I mean, each year it's just getting bigger and better. I think that one thing that could be, um, I suppose, improved on from last year is to really start that preparation early. So don't wait until, you know, a month before your heats to start putting the routine together. That is a big no-no. Um, and we have been speaking about it in, you know, a couple of other episodes on the podcast and in the competitors group on Facebook. So, yeah, if you're, um, if you're thinking you're really going to go for it this year, please get onto it now. <laughs> what do you do personally, Christy? If you know you have a competition coming up, do you have any kind of deadline in mind for when you need to be running the full routine by? Oh yeah. I have a deadline in mind for every single part of it. So I have deadlines for the latest that I can include tricks in the routine. So if I don't have a trick by a certain point, it's not allowed in the routine. And it's not just if I have it, it's if I have it and it has to be at 80% by this date or a hundred percent success rate by this date. So every time I do the trick, I have to be able to get it. Otherwise it's out. And there's the same with, you know, deadline for the choreography. My latest that I like to start run-throughs is three weeks prior because that's that's cutting it pretty close for me. Um, it does take me 
I'm not really, I don't feel like I'm a naturally good pole dancer. I have to work really hard for it. So I start the run-throughs earlier because I need to build up stamina and whatever. Um, Also, I like to feel really comfortable on stage that I know the routine and I know not just know the routine but know everything that could go wrong with the routine. So I have sessions where I work through the entire routine and every single trick in it saying how could this go wrong and then I re-choreograph backup options. Like if I miss Mm. a trick, what's the backup option? If I do this, what's the backup option? If my costume Mm. doesn't come off, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Uh, Velcro. (laughs) Velcro. (laughs) Oh my god! Oh. If like, yeah, props. I've I've done a lot of props as well. <laughs> oh, you've done way more props than me. Like, um, I've only Freddie is my first. Um, I've done a couple of props here and there, a couple of little props, bit of um, a little bit of complicated costumery that's had to come off or reveal something. Okay? Uh, but Freddie was my first go with um, actual props that I needed to pack up and carry onto an aeroplane and worry about. All of my other props have been so small that they go in luggage, just luggage, or they're a part of my costume. So, you know, they're actually attached to me. Um, But Freddie was my first go. You know, I took a a lamp and a side table and, you know, like. (laughs) The kitchen (laughs) sink. Stupid kitchen sink. But, yeah, but I agree with what you're saying, Em. I like, I used to give myself, I used to make myself run a show a whole month out from competition. But then when I got really busy with competing, and I'm not really competing at the moment, but I will again. But when I got really busy with competing, it became unrealistic to be running pieces a full month before the show. Sometimes I was actually working on two comp pieces literally at the same time. So then I settled for three weeks and I ended up settling for two weeks. (laughs) But, yeah, but the routine is well and truly done. And I mean, really done, done, done. Like I've been working on this routine for about four months. So, you know, I'm not someone who puts together routines quickly. If someone asks me, I've got a show on next month, can you perform? Eight times out of 10, I say no, because I'm, (laughs) I'm very anal like that. I really am. If I don't have three months to prep something really nicely, then chances are I actually turn down a performance. I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing, but I love to be prepared and I love to know what I'm putting on stage and I love to have it really cleanly rehearsed to the best of my ability. Yeah. Mm. Otherwise, otherwise I do not feel good going on stage. I think, and I tell my girls this, I'm like, you know, preparation is key. You've got to know, you've got to know what you're doing. You've got to have your tricks. You've got to have your Corey. And I'm quite strict on them too. Like a month before a comp, I'm like, you know, are you running your routine all out yet? And they're usually like, no. And I'm like, well, look, it's only a month to go. You know, your deadline's only a few days away for when you need to be running your routine full out. And I think that's been good for them because they're very, they're a hardworking bunch and they usually have their shit quite together. Usually, mm. usually before, before a comp comes around. So prepare fizzy polars, get yourself prepared book whatever privates you need well in advance don't don't start contacting your teachers two weeks out in a panic make sure you get on to everyone well before that point so that you've got all of your privates lined up you know what you're doing you know your training schedule and you've got all of your stuff mapped out for you ready to just run that routine weeks in advance of when you have to put it on stage do it 
Yes, do it. Well, I'm sure everyone's going to be very excited to see you once again at the final. Oh, I'm excited to see them. I can't wait. Such a, I mean, everyone's all nervous on comp day. So I see people and I'm like, hello. And they're like, (laughs) but nonetheless, it's still a joy to see their happy, smiling faces. And until then, if um, our Fizzy fam aren't following you yet, where can they find you? What can they oh, search Come and get me on Instagram. I'm at Lisa underscore D, just D underscore pole dancer. Don't know why I gave myself such a long Instagram handle, but it was back in the day when Instagram was newer, so we didn't know what we were doing. You know you, me, Lisa, you know you can change it. I know, but I've been that for years now and I feel like, I mean, would you change yours? Would you change it to put an underscore in there or put a full stop? I mean, it would be silly. People would be like, what the hell happened? Yeah, this is true. Um, Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining and having a chat today. No, thank you. Can't wait for the finals. Yeah, I've actually, um, I was looking at some new dresses. I don't have any new dresses from last year at this point. Oh, no, that's not true. I have one. I was looking at some nice new dresses yesterday. I was like, oh, because I've got a couple of things to MC coming up. So, yeah, I'm, I'm out shopping and trying things on and being like, will this look good on stage? Making my poor boyfriend <laughs> be the judge of my dresses. So, yes, I'm excited. I'm preparing. Excellent. See, she's preparing months in advance and she's not even performing, <laughs> although I'll speak to her. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> Trust me, it's a performance. It's a it's a whole evening long performance. <laughs> <laughs> it is actually. MCing is very difficult. Oh, oh. enjoyable well, but difficult. Yes, yes, definitely. Okay, well, thank you, Lisa, and um, thanks, Busy Fam, for joining us. And we will see you in the next episode. Bye. Thanks for having me. Bye. Let's get busy. Fam.